So it is a great joy for me to introduce our speaker today. Um, I've known Gov Gottschalk for a long time. Gov is originally from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, uh, and then spent his high school years up in Connecticut. Then he had the good sense to come to South Carolina uh, and go to Clemson for his undergraduate and graduate degrees in architecture. And then he was hired in that fascinating period that some of you who are my age are old enough to remember um, when the Kuwaitis were beginning the development plan for Kiowa Island. And so he was part of the team uh, that worked on that project. He then opened his own architectural practice. And through all of this time, Gov has been a very active member of St. Philip's. He has led uh, men's Bible study for a long time. He's been very involved with our home missions efforts. Uh, he is uh, somebody who's been and is on our vestry. Uh, he has also been involved with a lot of nonprofit boards for various causes here in Charleston. And he is married to Tammy and has uh, three children. So he has been a great blessing to many of us in this room, and we are delighted to welcome him today to share his story with us. Please welcome Gov Gauchalk. Well, <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for that introduction. Um, yeah, it is All Saints Day, and I'm looking at a room full of saints, so you all be nice to me. <laughs> um, what Brian didn't say was that I was actually here uh, 11 years ago this month. I spoke on the first Wednesday of November of um, what, 2012, so it's, it's uh, coming around here. I don't know how many people were here at that time, but it's, um, it's a great, great to see all you here this, this, this afternoon. And I hope what I have to say will be of benefit to you. Um, I'd like to first open up with just a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the author and creator of the entire universe. And we give thanks for your great love for each one of us. I pray that you will bless this time together. And that what I have to share today will be pleasing to you. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well... For those of you who are not members of St. Philip's, like, would like to welcome you to, uh, to the Anglican Church of St. Philip's. Um, uh, this is a special three-hour edition of the men's, men's Lunch, and I promise I'll have you all out of here by 3.30, so uh, no, no worries at all there. Um, so, but also, in the interest of full disclosure, I need to let you know that uh, I am what I would classify as a socially, or as, a, as a functional social introvert. Um, I'm pretty comfortable speaking to a small group of people, um, but like many people, my greatest fear is, is speaking to a large audience. Um, well, actually, that's not my greatest fear. My greatest fear is sitting at a table once a month, writing out name tags for men's whose names will escape me at the drop of a hat. Thank goodness I've never had to do that. Um, so clearly, I'm not a professional speaker, and that'll probably become pretty obvious as we, as we go along. Um, well, Brian has asked me, as he's asked those of who have been here before me, to share with you some of the things that God has done 
in my life and how this has affected my faith. Um, I want to talk to you today about three things. Um, God's redemption for me, his second chances, and his provision. So here goes. Um, first, a little background on myself. Um, I may repeat a few things that, that Brian said, but that's um, what I've got written down here. Um, if, you, if you read my bio, you'll know that I was born in Pennsylvania, and I went to elementary school and, and junior high school in Valley Forge. My family then moved to Simsbury, Connecticut in 1970, and that's where I attended high school. Um, in fact, I just returned to Connecticut last month for my 50th high school reunion. Um, I could give a whole talk on just that experience alone, but I'll, I'll save that for another day. Um, my father uh, died 38 years ago when I, was, when I was 30, and my mother died most recently, uh, well, not most recently, but um, more recently in the spring of 2012. Um, I have one sister who still lives in Connecticut with her husband and, and three grown children, um, and so that's, that's kind of my, my roots and my background. As Brian mentioned, after high school, I came to South Carolina to go to school at Clemson University to study architecture. Um, I received both my bachelor's and master's degree from Clemson, um, and then moved here in 1979 to work at Kiowa Island and have been in Charleston ever since. Um, so, uh, interesting story about how how a boy from, Charles, from Connecticut comes to South Carolina and ends up in Charleston. Um, it was 1979. Uh, some of you remember that was, that was not a good economic time. So the country was in pretty bad shape. I had graduated school. There were no jobs available. Um, I was, after my graduation, my parents had come down for graduation. We were all going to pack up the cars and drive back to Connecticut together. Um, and literally, as I was locking the door to my apartment, uh, our cars were loaded, we were gassed up, ready to go back to Connecticut. The phone inside my apartment rang. Now, some of you may not remember that when homes actually had phones on the wall, but, uh, and they also had those 20-foot-long extension cords that you would buy at, at, um, at Sears so you could walk around the house when you talked. But anyway, the phone rang, and... I debated whether to go back in and answer the phone or just keep on going, but I, I went back in and answered the phone. And it was a fellow on the phone by the uh, name of Chris Schmidt, who is an architect here in Charleston, and he said, uh, can I speak to Gov Gottschalk? And I said, that, this is he. And he said, well, he said, I'm calling from Kiowa Island. He said, we have an opening for a summer intern for an architect this summer and wanted to know if you were interested in that job. Well, I had no better prospects ahead of me, so I said, yes, I'll, I'll, fine. He said, well, you know, can you be here in two days? <laughs> so um, I said, yes, I can. I said, I said I'm, I'm packed, actually, and ready to go. So my parents got in their car and drove back to Connecticut. I, I got in my car and, and drove to Charleston and uh, started my career uh, right out of school working for, for Keogh Island, which was an incredible experience for somebody who just got out of college in architecture. It was, it was amazing. Um, so I worked there for five years, um, and then in 1984, I, I left uh, to start my own architectural practice. My office was just around the corner on East Bay Street at, at the corner of Cumberland and East Bay Street, and I was in that same location for, for 29 years before moving to an office space in, in Mount Pleasant 
this January will be my 40th year in business. Um, also, as, as Brian said, I'm, I'm married to, to, to Tammy, Tammy Barnes, um, and uh, I have three children from a previous marriage. Uh, daughter, Lauren, who's 36, uh, two sons, John, 34, and Brian, 32. They are both still living here in the Charleston area on Johns Island, and um, so far, we have five beautiful grandchildren. We're just going to see where the Lord, where the Lord ends things. Um, so going back to my, to my uh, spiritual roots, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, uh, grew up really not knowing Jesus, though, as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, I think uh, my family was really, I think they, 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 they believed in God, but it was more of a social, social Christianity at, at that time, and that was not uncommon during the, the 60s, the 50s and 60s in this country. Uh, it was a very, very social. Um, so I, you know, I grew up thinking that I was in charge of my life and that it was all up to me to win or lose. Boy, was I wrong. Um, and, it, and it took practically losing everything that I had before I found that out. So 21 years ago, my, my life raveled in front of me. On the morning of January 29th, 2002, paramedics found me paralyzed in my car in the parking lot of Holy Trinity Episcopal Church on Folly Road. There were a lot of uh, miraculous events that happened that morning, which would take me too long to describe here. But let me say that while I was in the car, unable to move or talk, I could still hear the paramedics as they were working on me. I remember hearing one of them say, he's not going to make it. And I had no doubt that that was true, feeling the way that I did. Fortunately, they were wrong, really wrong. Um, four hours later, I walked out of the hospital, having had experienced a major panic attack, which had just come out of nowhere. Um, but this was just the beginning. Um, my marriage failed, and there was a five-year period of separation, which ultimately ended in divorce. At the same time, my architectural business suffered a major turndown, and my income dropped over 75%. I was also being treated with drugs for deep depression, and then I was being treated with more drugs for the side effects created by those drugs that I was being treated for, for deep depression. Um, it created a downward, downward spiral. I fell into a time of just utter despair and hopelessness that I could not have imagined. I was struggling from day to day. For a short time, 19 years ago, I was homeless, living out of my car. I contemplated suicide. <sighs> but in his mercy, God had other plans for me. <clears throat> I found myself one day laying on the floor of my apartment. I cried out to God. I laid there for almost a week while the prescription medicines worked themselves out of my system. I came out on the other end with a new sense of purpose and a desire to live. My depression was gone, and I have not needed or had medication since then. God met me where I was and said it's time for him to be in charge, and I let him, and he showed me how much he loved me. Well, I mentioned earlier that I have a daughter, uh, Lauren, who's 36, 
has Down syndrome, and she has had insulin-dependent diabetes since she was five. I have to say, she has taught me more about God's love for me than anyone that I know. God wants me to love him unconditionally and be totally dependent on him, trusting that he will provide everything that I need. Well, that's how Lauren lives her life every day. She trusts me completely to take care of her without worry and concern and with a love that is uncompromised by circumstances. She loves me the way I am to love God, and I understand how God loves me by the way that I love Lauren. I think anybody here who's met Lauren will know that she has, she has a sweet spirit and a, and a heart for people. So through all this, I had to learn to trust God more each day. It wasn't easy when I had lived most of my life thinking it was up to me. God wanted me to put it all in his hands and start over with him at the center of my life, and that's when my life changed. I started looking at the world from a biblical perspective rather than a worldly view. So in 2007, I found myself starting over with a, with a focus on putting God first in my life. And he brought Christian men into my life at that time to support me and encourage me. You may not know some of these names, but men like George Huggins, Andrew Dupree, Dick Gibbons, Bill Warlick, and Hank Avent. So let me give you some real life examples of what that looks like. First of all, God has a great sense of humor um, and a flair for stringing together a chain of seemingly unrelated events that, um, that will end up in a way that you could never imagine. In, in, in one of these events now in 2007, my 16 year old car just up and died. Well, Bill Warlick told me that Bob Abels Bob, you're here? Yep, there's Bob. Had a vehicle for sale, which I ended up buying, and it was exactly what I needed. As a result, Bob asked me to join his Friday men's Bible study that was meeting here at St. Philip's. It was there that I met Kent Keller and Steve Groudon. And through them, I went on my first ever mission trip at age 55, and it was a trip to Honduras with the Lamb Institute in 2007. And that trip changed my life as well, too. It, um, it gave me a perspective of the world that I had never understood before. It gave me a, 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 a vision, a, a hands-on experience that, that I had never, never imagined. Um, it was life-changing. And as a result, I was asked and became a member of, a, a board, member of the board for the Lamb Institute in 2008. Well, one of the board members on the Lamb Institute was a young lady by the name of Tammy Barnes, a woman who has a deep love for God and a strong belief. So long story short, the next year, 2008, Tammy and I were on another mission trip together to Honduras with, with Lamb. At the end of that trip, a tropical storm came up in the Caribbean Sea, which closed the airport at Tegucigalpa for five days, and our trip was extended. And during those five days, Tammy and I shared our lives with each other. We just became best friends. We came back from Honduras, 
and very quickly realized that God had brought us together. <clears throat> we were married within six months. Um, God had overcome my failed marriage and redeemed it with a person of his own choosing. We have put God at the center of our marriage, and it has resulted in a joy that can come only from him. We read and study the Bible together. We pray together. We put each other first, and we take any situations that we might encounter to him. And there were opportunities to do that early in our marriage. In the spring of 2010, shortly after our first anniversary, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. The standard treatment for prostate cancer is for surgery to remove the prostate. It's a major surgery with a high percentage of side effects that I was looking to avoid. I looked at other options, radiation, seed implants, cryotherapy, all of which had their own set of long-term um, problems. Nothing seemed to feel like the right thing to do, so I went ahead and set a date for surgery. Now, some of you may or may, may know or remember Rick Webb. He was a member here at St. Philip's for many years. He was a lawyer who has since then been called to ministry, and he's now an ordained Anglican priest in Toronto, Canada. At that time, though, Rick was renting an office space across, from, across the hall from my offices on East Bay Street. I was telling Rick about my situation, and he offered to pray with me for discernment right then and there, and we did. This was now just two weeks away from my surgery date. It was not 30 minutes later that I was crossing the street outside of my office and I ran into a friend I had not seen in a while. I happened to mention to him that I was facing surgery for prostate cancer. <clears throat> he said I needed to talk to his boss because he was pretty sure that he had just been recently treated for prostate cancer, but not with surgery. His boss was Buck Limehouse. That may, may be familiar to a lot of you in here. Um, at that time, Buck had a real estate company, but he was also the head of the South Carolina Department of Transportation. His office in Charleston was in the building next door to mine here on, on Cumberland Street. I knew Buck and took a chance that he was in the office. Now, it was usually quite difficult to get back to see Buck, um, but God that day removed all of the roadblocks. I walked into his office. For some reason, the receptionist was not at her desk. There was nobody milling around in the waiting room. I walked down the hall. His personal secretary had stepped away from her desk as well, too. She was not, I mean, there was nobody in the office. And I just kept walking back further deep into, into the office space. And I found myself at Buck's door. And um, he saw me and waved, waved me in. I guess he must have seen something on my face because he paused his conversation with whoever he was talking to to say, uh, to ask me if I was okay. And I told him I, very quickly, I said, Buck, I said, I, had, I have prostate cancer and I wanted to know what he had done. Well, he told the person that he was talking to that something had come up and that he would call him back. Buck cleared his calendar right then and there and gave me two hours of his time. During that time, to tell me about his experience. And he told me about a treatment that he'd had called um, proton beam radiation. So proton beam radiation <clears throat> was a, um, 
it wasn't a brand new treatment for, for, for prostate cancer, but it was relatively uh, scarce. There were only six locations in the country at that time that were offering this treatment. One of those locations was Jacksonville, Florida. So Tammy and I researched this option and went down there and talked to the people and determined that it was the right treatment for me. So in September of 2010, I moved to Jacksonville for two months to be treated with a highly focused form of uh, radiation that spares the surrounding tissue and kills only the, the cancerous tissue. So that was 13 years ago this month, and to this date, it has been completely successful, and I've had no side effects. So that was one challenge. Second challenge that we had was three years later in 2013, I had another opportunity to rely on God's provision. At a routine annual checkup uh, at, at MUSC, my physician, Jim Glenn, a member here at St. Philip's, um, became concerned over a heart murmur that I had had diagnosed when I was age 18. It had never posed any problem to me. Um, it had never restricted my, my life, but something that day gave him cause for concern. We scheduled a stress test shortly after that. Five minutes into the 45-minute test, I was told to stop. They'd seen all they needed to see. A meeting with a cardiac surgeon determined that I needed to have my aortic valve replaced. And two weeks later, I underwent open-heart surgery, which was successful, and I am completely healthy today. So where was God's provision in this? Well, at the time, my wife, Tammy, happens to be a nurse practitioner. She happened to be working at MUSC, and at that time, her specialty happened to be cardiology. So I had someone that just knew exactly what I would be going through, and she was able to walk with me through that each step by step. So that's just two ways that God has worked in my life since I've come to put my faith and trust in him. And that brings us to today. I'm going to skip over all the COVID stuff. Um, <clears throat> brothers, we are truly living in bizarre times. If what I'm about to say now comes across as a little preachy, please know that I am talking primarily to myself, and I'm hoping that it will ring true with, with you as well. <clears throat> as our rector Jeff said in, his, in this uh, past Wednesday night service, we are now living in an upside-down world. Good has become evil and evil has become good. The world has discarded the truth and embraced the lie. The rest of the world now looks at Christians as the ones who are being out of step, and it just seems to be getting more and more difficult to stay grounded because even some of the more traditional anchors in this world are choosing to slide away from the biblical truth. They know the truth, but they are choosing to believe the lie. Satan's having a field day. <clears throat> I'm reminded of the line from the 1995 movie, The Usual Suspects, when Kevin Spacey, one of the main characters of the film, tells the police during the investigation that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. This is the world we live in now. The concept of sin is no longer existing in our culture, but we are certainly suffering from the consequences of that worldview. So as sons, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, maybe even some great-grandfathers in here, 
we will be facing greater and greater challenges to our faith in the coming years. It is of vital importance that we know and teach God's truth to our families and to those we have relationships with. It is important that we set an example to those around us. Charleston is known as the holy city. I believe that Charleston in general, and St. Philip's in particular, has a role to play in preaching God to the world. I believe that each of us here today are here because God has a plan for each of us. I don't know what brought you to Charleston, but I feel like I was literally called to Charleston in 1979. What if I had not gone back into my apartment and answered the phone? I don't know where my life would be now, but I feel this is where I have been called to be. I mentioned earlier that I had just been back to Connecticut for my high school reunion. Connecticut is a beautiful place, but there is a spiritual void there that is palpable. We are blessed here to be living and worshiping in a church that is preaching the gospel and standing firm for biblical truth. What can you and I do? Well, first, I would recommend that you read St. Paul's second letter to Timothy. But whenever Paul addresses Timothy, substitute your own name and read it as if that letter is being written to you. I think you will find it encouraging and strengthening. Second, you're all probably familiar with the saying, you are what you eat. Well, this is a warning that concerns your physical health. But what about our spiritual health? I would go a step further and add that you are what you read, you are what you listen to, you are what you watch, you are what you spend your money on, and you are who you associate with. It might be a good time to take an inventory of your priorities. Eleven years ago when I spoke to this group, one of the scriptures that I referenced was a passage from Philippians 4. In our Friday morning Bible study, which, by the way, is the same Bible study that Bob Abel's invited me to 16 years ago, we've been going through St. Paul's letters, and this past week, we found ourselves just happening to start Philippians chapter 4. There's no coincidences. Something that was true 11 years ago for me is true today. And I think that's just God's timing. It's, it's perfect. Let me share that particular passage with you. It's from the fourth chapter of Philippians, and it's verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to share just a couple other passages, passages with you that have sustained me over the years. One is um, from First um, Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And again, from Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then because I said, I said God has a great sense of humor, one of my favorite passages, it's a short passage from Numbers, um, it's when the Lord commands Moses to feed the people while they are roaming in the desert. And Moses is like, how? How am I going to do that? There's you know, 600,000 people here. I, you know, how, how am I going to feed these? Well, in Numbers 11, verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. God can do that for us as well, too. His arm is not too short. He's the author and the owner of everything. Well, God has been faithful. There has been enough work to keep my practice open. He has sustained us, uh, even when Tammy felt a call to take a new job that required a 50% reduction in her income. It's amazing to see how creative you can get and how God can bless those efforts. We have learned to trust God for his provision, and he has been faithful. I have found that having a close, uh, having a, a close group of male Christian friends that I meet with regularly and with whom I can share my fears, my doubts, and my struggles has been invaluable in my daily walk of faith. They hold me accountable for my actions and assist me in my walk with Christ. I also attend several Bible studies throughout the week, and try to spend time each day in prayer and reading the Bible. You know, I wouldn't want, um, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I'm going to have to wing it. Uh, well, I wouldn't want to go to a doctor that had only gone to medical classes once a week. I don't want to be a Christian only only turns to Christ one day a week as well. Do I still struggle every day and fall short? Of course. But that is precisely why Jesus Christ gave his life for me. And there is a peace and a joy that comes from knowing that. I'd like to close from a quote attributed to John Newton. And it's a little bit paraphrased because the original language is a little complicated. But he says, I may not be the man I want to be. I may not be the man I ought to be. I may not be the man I could be. I may not be the man I truly can be, but praise God, I am not the man I once was. Well, thanks for your time and attention today. I pray God's blessing on each and every one of you. Thank you very much.